0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. The dynamic duo's back at it. JB, Luda, I love everything about you. You're imperfectly perfect. Everyone's itching for beauty, but you're scratching the surface. Lost times are never found. Will the DJ please reverse it? In life, we pay for change. Let's make every second worth it. Anything can work if you're working with people who say you don't deserve it, then don't give in. Cause hate may win some battles, but love wins in the end. You shine just like the sun and the moon and the stars reflect your light. Beauty revolves around you, so you like that. Yeah, listeners, I tried to get a tiny bit ahead of the the rapper so I could prove that I memorized these wonderful uh, memory challenges using your brain, Primal Blueprint Law Number 10. For some reason, it's really hard for me to uh, memorize a, a string of rap lyrics, and then once I do, I can pick it up a couple years later and just go to town. Lots of fun. Try it sometime. Keep yourself uh, engaged, occupied, keep that brain busy like uh, the 80-year-old podcast transcriber who seems 60 and eagerly listens to all these shows and writes down the wonderful time stamps. Thanks, Mama, <laughs> for keeping busy. Uh, all the listeners appreciate it. I know you don't appreciate the rap, so I wanted to give you some appreciation with uh, the thank you for doing all the transcribing. Okay, you might guess what this show's about. And it's kind of the general update. I thought I would do a show on the things of particular interest to me right now, things I've been thinking about, things I've been doing with my routine, and get a little content, some food for thought out there, hopefully some actionable ideas. And then we'll uh, listen to your feedback as you email. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We've had a great run here. I think we've been going for a couple years now, uh, 140-some shows, and still going strong. Uh, So one thing that I've been fooling around with, playing with in my daily fitness routine is more downtime. (gasps) Horrors, imagine that, believe it or not. Uh, I've been in a a pattern for many years of just getting out the door first thing in the morning and putting in some cardiovascular exercise, Uh, taking the dogs for a 30-minute run, uh, usually very slow at below maximum aerobic heart rate, And it really is very slow now at this age. used to be pretty brisk uh, 20 years ago. I could run six-minute miles at my maximum aerobic heart rate. Now I can run nine-minute miles. So um, there's a little scientific experiment. What happens after uh, 23 years of time passing and not training like a crazy man like I did? uh, You lose about three minutes per mile at the same relative energy expenditure. No worries, though, because I'm getting a fat-burning workout And again, reminder that this math formula, this 180 minus age formula that is so critical, that is really the end all for heart rate monitoring. And you can forget about anything else fancier when we're talking about the zones and the thresholds. It's basically, are you doing a fat burning workout or are you drifting above that point of maximum fat oxidation into the world of glucose burning? And we call this the black hole or the no man's land when you drift above a comfortably paced aerobic workout that is predominantly fat burning with the main goal of teaching your body to get more efficient at burning fat, which is the key to success in all endurance sports, even short duration ones like 5K, 10K, when you exceed that uh, aerobic maximum heart rate, you are now pursuing a different training adaptation. doesn't mean you should never go fast and you should be stuck at this slow Plotting pace uh, because you're an endurance athlete. But when you're doing a purposeful high-intensity workout, you have free reign to uh, take the intensity way up there and uh, do sprints, do intervals, do tempo runs, uh, whatever you want to do, time trials. Uh, There's a lot of good scientific data showing that when you push yourself with a high-stress, high-intensity workout, the training effect is very similar regardless of the Uh, the specifics of the workout. So intervals, time trials, fartlek efforts, um, repeats, hill repeats, track workouts, uh, they all stress the body and your body responds with a fitness adaptation. And when you go hard, uh, it has a profound fitness adaptation. It delivers quick benefits to your fitness. However, it is a very high risk uh, endeavor because the workout has a high stress cost. And when you have other forms of stress in life, you really have to factor that in. Otherwise, we would go out there and run as fast as we could every single day and get better and better and better uh, without risk of illness, injury, burnout, breakdown. Obviously, the best way to train is as hard as you can every day, right? (laughs) So go try it. Good luck with that. And then email us back how it works to have indiscriminate heart rates and just pushing yourself every single day. Sounds pretty funny, but unfortunately... There's a big element of truth uh, with many people who are going out there with indiscriminate heart rates, a strong competitive instinct, and the lack of appreciation for uh, the importance of balancing stress and rest. Some of them are novices and they don't understand that uh, a spinning class or a boot camp workout is vastly too stressful for their current level of fitness. And some of them are pretty experienced people that are in the uh, bicycle racing teams or the uh, group marathon training programs where they just feel like they're not getting an effective workout unless they're way up there into the black hole range, uh, far beyond their maximum aerobic heart rate. So the education process continues and the benefits of slowing down to go faster and stay healthier are the essence of the primal endurance message. So what I've been up to is uh, more variation in my uh, day-to-day training patterns such that I have more uh, long duration downtime built in to my uh, snapshot. We like to talk in framework of a week a lot. A week is 168 hours long. So lately, let's say in the last six months or maybe eight months, I have more uh, periods of time, let's say they're uh, 36-hour duration where I'm not doing uh, much exercise. I'm not doing my usual faithful 30-minute cardiovascular workout every single day or six days a week or whatever I used to do. Um, And the reason I'm fooling around with this is because I'm striving for Uh, higher highs and lower lows in my uh, fitness pursuits because I have uh, competitive goals. I want to get better. I want to get fitter. I want to delay the aging process. And I'm pondering that the best way to do that is to throw in more rest periods. So when it is time to do a difficult, challenging workout, uh, I'm coming off these nice periods where I've backed off, I haven't done any strength training, I haven't done any sprinting, I haven't done even uh, cardiovascular for uh, a couple days or what have you. Uh, might be just an individual observation, might not work for everyone. And I'll also share that if you do a really comfortably paced aerobic session that's truly low stress, where perhaps you go down 15 beats below your aerobic maximum, And now it turns into a jog walk rather than even a jog or it turns into a cruise and the cruiser bike down to the farmer's market and back rather than a training session where you're clipped in and looking at your power meter and looking at your heart rate. So those types of efforts have a great contribution to health. Uh, serious athletes scoff at them because they feel like there's not a lot of fitness adaptation that you can get when you're already in pretty good shape from going out there and running 13 minute miles for a couple miles to the uh, to the store and back. Uh, but as Maffetone discusses in detail in the wonderful videos that we have on the Primal Endurance Mastery course, any type of uh, cardiovascular session delivers a fitness benefit that's not to be scoffed at. So if you're imagining a busy active day where you just walk around a lot or every time you see a flight of stairs, you kind of hustle up them rather than just sludge up them and uh, grab the hand railing and pull yourself up. Um, if you can kind of throw in a good level of baseline activity, avoiding those long periods of time of stillness where you're just sitting in a chair and messing up your uh, hip flexors and your hamstrings and your glutes because you haven't moved for three hours, that kind of stuff's no good. So if you can get this baseline of a busy active day where you jump up and run down the hall and get uh, some more sticky notes from the supply cupboard uh, to take home, (laughs) just a little joke, uh, those things will be really helpful to your overall fitness as an athlete. Um, The reason I'm bringing that up is because we've had those uh, great discussions on mark's daily apple recently the uh, landmark post called rethinking recovery you can search for that and the talk about the constrained model of energy expenditure which is a uh, a theory that is now getting some good science behind it especially with the uh, landmark study of the hadza in tanzania where it turns out even though these hunter gatherers have a vastly more busy day than we do and more physical activity and more moving around Uh, they burn a similar amount of calories. Uh, Similarly, a fitness enthusiast who's running their 30 miles a week or getting out there on the bike for 10 hours a week, uh, doing three CrossFit sessions and doing intervals on the other days, whatever your big-time routine is, uh, the total caloric expenditure is not much different from a person who exercise uh, vastly less uh, hourly volume every week. And the reason this happens is because of the compensation theory, where because you did that badass CrossFit session at 6 a.m., you are going to find yourself generally lazier for the duration of the day, and also your metabolic rate slows down at rest in comparison to the person at the next cube who just walked the dog for 20 minutes that morning. Really interesting, fascinating study. Uh, When you read the article on Mark Stingley Apple, you can click over to Joel Jameson's article on 8weeksout.com also listen to the podcast on this channel with Joel where he's talking more about this constraint model and this notion that, you know, having to get off your butt and do a workout in the name of uh, uh managing your 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 body fat levels or uh, continuing to uh preserve your fitness is kind of uh, uh, misguided. So, uh, no matter what you do, you burn the same amount of calories. That's why we always point back to diet as vastly uh, the most important variable in uh, managing weight loss, controlling your body composition. So uh, armed with that type of uh, new insights, I'm not so concerned about writing something in my log every single day because I know that I'm certainly not going to lose fitness if I skip a uh, slow-paced 30-minute run. Um, I'd love to get out there and enjoy myself But I also, uh, with the athletic goals in mind, sometimes I want to purposefully bottom out in the name of improved fitness and protecting myself from uh, breakdown and overstress. So as a consequence of these down periods, I can do some more fun stuff and some more uh, magnificent athletic feats when it's time to push myself hard. So the kind of that rhythm I'm changing, I'm experimenting with. So there are fewer medium days. There are more of these down days where not doing a ton of uh, workout performance and then some more spectacular highs where I'm doing something that's really pushing myself. But uh, underneath all that or the framework of all that is this uh, tremendous devotion to leading a healthy, active lifestyle and doing the mobility, flexibility stuff and general activity that promotes health and also sets up a nice foundation for fitness. Uh, this is uh, an important topic in my uh, morning routine video uh, that you can search on YouTube for Brad Kern's morning routine, where I show this uh, eight minute or 12 minute effort that I do uh, in bed before I get out of bed to make sure that at least I'm doing some flexibility and some core work. Uh, that kind of sets a foundation for when I do crazy stuff like sprinting. So go check out that video and consider uh, throwing in some of these routines yourself where you get up and do something. Uh, it might not be a formal workout that counts in your training log, but it's a nice way to start your day. It could be uh simple as sun salutation, the yoga series in the backyard, or my morning routine where I'm doing scissor kicks and core work in bed. Just something to get yourself going, get the energy flowing, and then uh, your workouts come on top of that base. Same with uh, an absolute habit of getting up and moving around. I also like to do, when I'm on my stand-up desk, uh, these kind of ballet moves where I'm standing on one leg and trying to get the other leg out to a 90-degree angle and doing kick-outs where I'm just uh, extending my, uh, my lower leg out, uh, bending at the knee, and that's really good for balance and things like high-jumping goals and also being uh cognizant of the uh loss of balance that's part of the aging process and trying to trying to fight from that so with this more fluctuating schedule and fewer let's say fewer uh monthly run sessions than than usual um i had a great result last weekend won my first speed golf tournament in san luis obispo and this is basically an all-out effort over a very hilly five-mile golf course Uh, I finished in 52 minutes and shot an 85, so that's a total speed golf score of 137. Uh, Watch that video on YouTube, Introduction to Speed Golf, if you don't know about it or you haven't heard me talk about it, because I like to talk about it whenever possible. Uh, But the cool insight I had from there was despite a reduced overall running volume, uh, I felt as strong as ever, maybe stronger, out on the course. I had really great endurance, and I attribute that to... um, One, backing off and making sure I get more rest and I'm nowhere near that uh, overtraining uh, spiral and those patterns where you're dealing with heavy legs or poorly functioning legs as a consequence of accumulated training stress. Very huge concern, always has been, even back to my uh, days as a professional, you're just praying that you have good legs one day on the bike when it's time to race. And a lot of times those legs will be flat because we were training so hard and Uh, pushing for the very edge of uh, human endurance. So as a recreational person, you just want to stay far away from that red line that you cross over into overtraining. And now I'm sure to do that uh, just because my overall volume and frequency of running is reduced, but I'm putting in some good sprint workouts. I'm moving up to running quarter repeats along with 200s and 100s. I used to just do 100 meters as my sprint workout and building up over the years to try to open it up a little bit. I have some uh, top secret athletic goals coming up that requires uh, running a strong 400 meters. So all that uh, put together into a nice performance out on the golf course. And guess what? With this new uh, uh, philosophy, this new strategy, uh, I'm going to be very sure to back off in the ensuing days and not do anything of major consequence because this was such a maximum, a very strenuous effort. My heart rate was probably, you know, 170 to 175 for, uh, an entire hour. So, uh, right there at anaerobic threshold, funny enough, you'd think, uh, when you stop and hit a shot that you're going to get like a recovery period. Everyone asked me about speed golf and they say, Oh, so what you do is you calm yourself down, hit a shot, and then keep going like the, the winter Olympic guys in the biathlon. But really, um, funny enough, when I have my heart rate monitor on and testing out there, um, I will run up to the ball, stop, whatever takes five to seven seconds to uh, gather your bearings, get your club, drop your other clubs, and swing the club, and then pick the clubs up and run. And my heart rate will increase due to the pure stress of hitting a golf shot and the concentration and the effort required in the body. I was shocked. Like, This was when I'm doing an aerobic workout and training and uh, trying to keep my heart rate under 130. So I'm just jogging out there. So I jog up to the ball, stop, hit the shot. And by the time I pick up my clubs to continue on, my watch is beeping. So in other words, the golf shot is more difficult than the run to the golf shot in terms of heart rate spiking over the aerobic zone. Anyway, enough about speed golf. So uh, think about it. Think about the concept. See if it can play come into play with what you're doing. And if any of those workouts can be um, tossed or modified greatly so that they're uh, more promoting of recovery and uh, reducing your risk of overtraining pattern. This topic calls to mind uh, one of my favorite podcasts that I did uh, about the simply running approach of Olympic bronze medalist Uh, Nick Willis from New Zealand, one of the greatest 1,500-meter runners of all time. He has two Olympic medals at 1,500. He won the bronze in Rio at age 34, the oldest Olympic medalist at 1,500 meters in history. Uh, So he's had an incredible career on the pro track circuit. He runs a 328-1,500. That's about a 345-mile, something like that, 346 So he's a real machine, but he wrote this fantastic blog post called Simply Running. You can find it if you just Google his name and type Simply Running Nick Willis. And he talked about how he has been modifying his training in recent years because he wants to uh, prolong his career. He's got a little uh, child and family life that he doesn't want to uh, be compromised. And so he cut back to uh, one run per day rather than the standard... The absolute standard among elites of doing two runs a day. Unquestionable. They all jog whatever it is in the morning and then do their track session at night or vice versa. And he's like throwing out these junk uh, runs that he said, quote, "We're topping off my weekly mileage." and instead, um, doing you know fun stuff with his family or playing speed golf, one of his uh, favorite hobbies. he's one of the top speed golfers out there, obviously one of the best runners that we've ever ever seen out there. So listen to the podcast where I talk about Nick Willis' Simply Running Approach. And a short takeaway is simplify your approach. Don't worry about filling in every single blank in the training log. When it's time to go hard, go hard. Make sure you stay fresh in the mind and the body. And if if an Olympian can do it, you can certainly chill out and have a less stressful approach to your training. How about that? It's one of my favorite podcasts, and I didn't even get the guy on because he's so busy. Um, I get a chance to talk to him at the speed golf tournaments, but uh, instead of getting him as a guest on the podcast, I'd still love to. So Nick, if you're listening, I know you're not, but hey, let's get on the podcast sometime. In lieu of that, we can definitely uh, take inspiration from his approach. Check him out on Facebook too, because he's got like this mile training program where you can improve your time in the mile. Looks really interesting. Okay, so enough about that. Think about balancing your uh, workout patterns so there's more rest, uh, less obsessive approach, and see if you can uh, gain some benefits. And definitely make a bigger commitment to your baseline of everyday movement, uh, perhaps strength, mobility, flexibility stuff. Foam rolling even counts, so that's fun. You can watch a show uh, while you're foam rolling on the ground, and that counts as part of your flexibility mobility score. And also uh, keep in mind, uh, instead of just some dude yapping on a podcast, there's a lot of science behind this idea that um, excessive cardio is super, super unhealthy and that most of us in the endurance scene are probably doing too much cardio. You talk to the muscle people and they, um, they will set you straight. And these guys have been steeped in science for a long time uh, the bodybuilding world, I'm talking about the muscle heads, the bro science. Uh, but, you know, respect goes out because they have been uh, studying the body for, for decades, you know, going back to the 60s when bodybuilding first came around. And they know what they're doing. They have a lot of, um, a lot of good community support and science uh, for what's the best way to train. And when you think about what it takes to get those huge muscles on your body, it takes a tremendous commitment to stress and rest and absolutely steering clear of overstress of any kind because that's just going to break down your body and you're not going to go anabolic. You're going to go catabolic. So the bro heads walking around with their tank shirts at Katy Perry concerts and wherever they are showing off, um, we kind of maybe don't see a strong connection. We don't have the brotherhood. We don't fist bump them as they walk by at the supermarket uh, because we're looking to um, you know hang with our, our skinny folks but we can definitely take some inspiration from them. Um, There's a uh, website called Muscle for Life. I just pulled up this interesting article, kind of mean-spirited at the start. Maybe that's why we're not great friends with the bodybuilding scene, because the guy writes, every time I go to the gym, I see the same crowd of overweight people grinding away in their spin classes and treadmill, stairmaster, elliptical sessions. Every day they're there sweating on the same machines and now they're just as fat as they ever were. Some are even fatter than when they started. Whew, okay, I guess that's a, a hook to um, uh, make you read the article. I might come off a little bit more gentle, but it's definitely uh, a phenomenon that people who burn a lot of calories with uh, an endurance-based training program a lot of times have trouble uh, dropping that excess body fat. And we've talked at length in the books and on the uh, video course about that carbohydrate dependency pattern where because you're burning all these calories and because it's slightly too stressful for best results, you are pushing yourself in the direction of carbohydrate dependency such that your morning spin class or your morning uh, 10K run around the park uh, will pair nicely with a pint of Ben & Jerry's that evening. Even if you're a devoted uh, dieter, portion control person trying to adhere to this this crazy primal diet where you can't have your, your oatmeal, your toast, your orange juice, uh, your sandwich, your energy bar, but you crack at some point because you have done all these uh, hormonal signaling toward sugar with your uh, exercise patterns, uh, not to mention your sleep patterns. Uh, a lot of good science on the sleep side showing that if you're sleep deprived, you might as well forget about uh, body fat reduction goals uh, through exercise or even through diet because you're just messing with your hormones. In particular, when you're sleep-deprived, you will uh, suppress melatonin that does all the repair and um, n- nourishment, regeneration, cellular repair. And instead, you'll be spiking the prominent hunger hormone ghrelin and messing up the prominent satiety home hormone leptin, the signaling of leptin, which uh, does a good job telling your brain when to stop eating because you've had enough and then telling your body what to do with the calories that you ingest, whether you burn them or store them as fat. So when leptin signaling is messed up, uh, don't, make the sta- don't make the mistake of saying uh, leptin gets too high or too low. It's not high or low, it's the signaling effect on the brain. So you want to have optimal leptin signaling. Not high leptin or low leptin, but optimal signaling. When the signaling gets messed up, uh, you are going to have a tendency to overeat and store those extra calories as fat. And when ghrelin uh, gets spiked due to the stress response of staying up late and blasting your eyeballs with artificial light and digital stimulation after dark, you are going to get abnormally hungry. Uh, my favorite uh, recurring anecdote with my brother, Jeffrey. He asked me one time, uh, he said he was eating pretty well and getting into the primal groove. He exercises sensibly. He's a good, healthy guy. But he said, you know, I got a problem. It's like every night around 11 o'clock, I just have to have this bowl of cereal. It just calls my name. And I know I shouldn't, but I can't stop. And, you know, I've been eating well the whole day, and here I am, you know, binging on cereal at 11 o'clock at night. Do you have any tips for how I could break this habit? And I said, go to sleep at 10. Guaranteed to break that habit. So, we remind us of that. Uh, so, back to this article. Um, just a few bullets here that are really relevant. Uh, research shows, this is quoting the article, that endurance athletes are at a higher risk of heart dysfunction than the general non-running public, and that the older they get and the more miles they log, the worse the problem gets. Uh, we'll share this link in the show notes so you can read it because uh, the, the, um, the words the worse the problem gets are underlined, taking you to a study, not just conjecture. A second bullet Research shows that marathoners develop more arterial plaque than sedentary non-runners, which increases the risk of stroke and dementia. Next bullet, the more cardio you do, the more you stress your body. And if you take it too far, you can wind up in a state of chronic stress, wherein your body can't adequately recover from your workouts. Sound familiar? Yes, it does hang around dyed-in-the-wool endurance athletes for a bit, and you'll quickly notice how many people have trouble with their knees, backs, hips, tendons, and bones. I would say the same for the extreme uh, strength training athlete too. So back at you, buddy, if you're doing too much of anything. And we definitely see this in the CrossFit community where the enthusiasts uh, love the social aspects of the gym and they're there five, six days a week uh, doing things that are really designed to be uh, two, three days a week. Back to the article. The reality is... I had to just do a pot shot back at you. The reality is if your goal is to look and feel good, more cardio and exercise in general is not always better. Moderate amounts improve health, but too much impairs it. I will also put in another plug for the relevance of this as you age. So when you're a young, healthy endurance athlete, uh, like I was competing on the pro circuit from ages 20 to 30... Uh, my physical prime, you could say. Uh, You can get away with a lot more. Ate a lot of sugar, ate a lot of carbs back then, trained really hard, did back-to-back 120-mile bike rides and all these great things that likely contributed to uh, my success on the race course. Also uh, crashed and burned a lot and had misfortune, but uh, I was able to get fast and competent in the endurance sports. Now, looking back at what I did then, I think even trying to approximate that in any way uh, beyond the age of 50 has got to be unhealthy. I might even uh, go as far out on a limb and venture to say that being a super fit, uh, elite level amateur participant in the endurance sports beyond the age of 50 is unhealthy. So talking about towing the line for an ultra 50 or 100 miles or an Ironman or a 70.3, it might not be aligned at all once you uh, hit the the big five zero. And so that uh, to the extent that your goals might be recalibrated with each passing decade where you reduce the distance and even reduce your fervent commitment to uh, racing at a uh, top level. Everyone wants to get on the podium. That's the number one age group goal for whatever age group. And oh my gosh, go look at those guys in the, the 55 to 59 with the veins crawling up their legs or the, the 55 to 59 year old ladies with um, the short hair and the six pack and the tan. And they look so impressive. They radiate health and energy and all those things. But we Are compelled to take a deeper look on a few levels. (laughs) Level number one is genetics. And these freak shows that are winning the age groups, some of them are the one in a million style uh, genetic attributes, perfectly uh, designed for success and endurance sports. And that's just all there is to it. So, when you see the cream rising to the crop and you aspire to be like the person on the top of the podium, it may never happen for you and you should be really content, as Dr. Lindsay Taylor reminds us a lot, uh, just to finish where you finish with your life and balance rather than always longing for more, especially when we get up to the, uh, you know, the higher the level of competition, maybe the more genetics has to influence it uh, when, you know, we're talking about these magnificent professionals that are racing on the ITU circuit and you see like 14 guys within two minutes of each other when they get off the bike and run these packs, Um, my goodness, they're all uh, similarly dedicated and similarly competitive. So um, the genetic advantages are huge. So when you're looking at the 55 to 59s or the 45 to 49s and wondering how these people do it, Uh, One, you can look to the unfairness category of genetics, and number two, uh, their overall stress levels in their life and the amount of stress they have to devote specifically to training and competition. So the ideal amateur champion competitor is someone who's retired independently wealthy, and gets to train all day and uh, rest adequately. But a lot of times what we see out there are the hard, dr- hard driving uh, type AA, type AAA. <laughs> I just heard that on a podcast somewhere, uh, You know, and I called to mind the analogy with the batteries, the AA and the AAA. So I'm going to start using that. So you get these type AAA people uh, that have the career, they have the family, and they have the ambitious uh, ultra distance uh, endurance performance goal And hey, kudos to you for uh, living life to the fullest and pursuing all these ambitious goals. But you have to look at the big picture and realize that your busy, hectic life is absolutely going to compromise your performance and development as an endurance athlete. And you're going to have a really hard time uh, competing with the person who is twiddling their thumbs Uh, waking up at 8.30, uh, having a cup of coffee, reading the latest issue of Triathlete Magazine, and then heading out for their first workout. Uh, So I guess you could chalk that up into the unfair category as well and just be accepting of uh, getting the most out of your body subject to all the uh, parameters and variables. So I... um, I got into the the muscle article a little bit and you can look at uh, Dr. James O'Keefe's TED Talk called Run For Your Life But Not Too Far and at a slow pace talking about the elevated cardiovascular disease risk factors uh, in endurance athletes because they're pushing themselves too hard and wearing out their hearts and scarring and inflaming their hearts. And this will be a good inspiration to consider backing off and having more of that downtime honoring the maximum aerobic heart rate for the vast majority of your workouts, and then pulling stuff out of your hat, like me, uh, last weekend, where, geez, I had no business uh, running like a crazy man across the whole golf course and and trying to play, but I felt great because I haven't done it, you know, 10 times in the last 30 days. It was a fun, uh, massively stressful event. It's going to stimulate an incredible fitness response because I'm packaging it with a lot of uh, relaxation, downtime, and also uh, cold and hot therapy, which I'll talk about on the next show. Cause I'm getting really enthusiastic, interested in this and enjoying it a lot, both cold water and hot sauna. So how's that for a little update show? Thanks for listening. I hope you got some uh, good tips and inspiration out of it. Email us info at primalendurance.fit uh, with your questions, comments, uh, suggestions for the show and we'll keep it going. Thank you so much for listening. Around the world, do, 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 do. around the world, ain't no different than us unless they're genetically superior. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm, it used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that over-training, over-stress, foggy brain function spiral downward That's right. Phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon. Adaptogenic Calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.